Hey guys, welcome everybody. We're going to get this wrapped out. This is the first time with me and Doc and Mark's going to be a reader tonight, so uh, we'll start over. Hi, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. Hi. Um, we're, going to, we're going to get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Oh, good evening, everyone. Sorry, I had a line and I didn't know. I was already deep in meditation. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Doc H. And I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Mike Chase E. (laughs) Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. So turn off the devices unless you're watching us on one. Uh, maybe put your phones on mute, or you can't do that either. Uh, do not disturb. I just figured out how to do do not disturb. On. So just try to find a quiet place and try not to watch everybody else meditate. That's kind of creepy, I guess. <laughs> well, that's, we're not Zooming. We can't do that. That's cool. No creeps. No, right. You can't watch other people. Yeah, no creeps. And if you have a coffee area in your home, uh, now is the time to get your coffee. Uh, please refraining. Please refrain from disturbing others by sending mindless little comments in the <laughs> middle of the meditation, because we'll know that you're not meditating, right? <laughs> meditation. I don't need your stinking meditation. Also, please refrain from. Uh, oh, that's you already said that. For meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath or your breathing and your posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Is there a basis to that type of meditation? Yeah, that, uh, that's a black and white uh, Buddhist where they actually, you imagine breathing in golden white light through the top of your head and then breathing out black smoke 
of all of the terrible things that have been in your life today, and the smoke immediately evaporates as it leaves your mouth. Once I had really bad indigestion, I was in the, the, the Awakening Heart Seminars, and they had me imagine a pitcher full of red bubbly acid, and I breathed it out. And by the time that pitcher was empty, my indigestion had gone away. I, I got to tell you, I use the black and white meditation daily. It's cool stuff. So yeah, the meditation it works. It absolutely works. Visual, See, that's the- bringing this stuff to life. <laughs> so let's take this time to get reconnected to God or as... Rob would say, kind of hard to get disconnected from in the first place. (laughs) But let's let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused during this study and help us to stay focused too. So we'll see you guys in three minutes. Um, Enjoy your time with God. Meditation music. Meditate hard.
right. Let's have uh, the fog light prayer. If you guys don't know it, just listen along, and it's a, it's a cool one. And I don't think you can. Can you hear me? Kind of. Uh, God. God. Let your love, let your love shine, shine through, through me, me like, like a fog, fog light. light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your life through me. me. Totally cool. You know, we were worried about when we first started doing this video thing that we we're going to violate you know, a tradition or something. So I was going to go buy him one of those uh, masks. <laughs> but... The Guy Fox, the Guy Fox, right? V for Vendetta, like Fox. So he's sort of like yes, I already have the Guy Fox mask. Yeah, so he's got I just have to do this. So uh, I think it's time to have a secretary's report, and that would be Mark tonight. Let's say hi to Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi. You got to get closer to the microphone tonight. Mark, I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey, Mark. Hi, Mark. R A S. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group should be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are not going around, but we do use Venmo. Nine five four. Nine five four two six one zero six one zero nine three nine three six nine six nine. Feel free. We still want to send our contributions to Inner Group to help them get along this tough time. By the way, if you guys are sitting around, you got a checkbook just leaving money out. Send a check to your normal area inner group because they suffer. They've got rent to pay, bills to pay, you know. They don't have their parents to take care of. And you can't keep it if you don't give it away. Can't keep it if you don't give it away. So I'm sorry I just stepped on you. Hi. So there's that. And um there is. besides that, we uh we read this thing called the recovered statement. Usually we call someone up and read it, but it's just me here tonight, so I'm gonna read it. So here's the recovered statement. We read this we read this note to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So here's a recovered statement. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. So, 1940-style big book sponsorship. From the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder... Those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Mm-hmm. Normally we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale, but there's no people to sell them. You can to always them. call in a group. Go well, back, they'll mail it up to your inner group, your local inner group. They need your money. <laughs> also, we meet every Monday, promptly at 7.15. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so I'm going to do a, a Dr. Fauci and just talk straight ahead. Okay, forward for the, from the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered, 
is the main purpose of the book and of this group too. And from there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So this is an open meeting. All such have interest in alcoholism in our program recovery are welcome, especially when we're back up and running in our third floor uh, room. Because <laughs> this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here. If you do not wish to do so, your anonymity will be protected, <laughs> and we ask that you protect yours. And also on the anonymity thing. You know, since we're doing this Facebook Live, this is for a private group of people that we pre-selected that can actually see us. But if you have friends who are not alcoholics, that you know, don't you can send them to the alcoholicsandgod.org, and they can hear podcasts, and they won't see our faces. So that way, we're keeping that whole anonymity tradition thing alive and well. Um, can I see a show of wave? Can I get everybody to comment in your waves if you're joining us for the first time? Because I guess you can wave in Facebook or something like that. Um, and the, the recovered alcoholics just send a quick little prayer hands. That might be kind of cool to watch. Awesome. Or we just crash the system. Show of hands. Yeah. You're shot, dude. Well, this is an open meeting, membership in the... Did you already say that? No, that's your job. Okay. Membership in this group, membership, is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So at this time, I recommend you dig out your big book because this is a big book study. And it's kind of cool at a big book study to have your big book with you so you can read along. <laughs> and if you don't have a big book, I think you could email or call your local inner group and they could probably mail one out to you. Right, because you need it not only electronically, but you need a physical one. Just to write in and scribble in and to no, like... No, to be sponsees. I was going to say that. <laughs> so before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 9, which was so eloquently done by Tanisha. Tonight Yay. let's take a quick review, up to five minutes, on Tradition 10. Please refer in the unabridged big book, that's that big fat book, to page 562,000. It magically appears. And magically, in the abridged, I thought you were going to say magically delicious. Magically that would appears. be true, too, though. And in the abridged big book, she showed up with a hand sanitizer for everybody. It's delicious. Hi. Hello. I am your alcoholic, recovered alcoholic traditionist. you got to get really close to the mic. And my name is Tanisha. Yeah. Tanisha! <laughs> you can take your mask off while you're up there, right? I, yeah, I can. straight ahead, yeah. I don't feel Because you're not breathing on us. <laughs> I've had it on all day. I've gotten used to it. <laughs> you feel naked without it. Okay. You feel best. Yeah. <laughs> Self-protection. So. Well, my glasses do get foggy, and I need to read <laughs> <laughs> I learned if I breathe out of my mouth, I don't get the fogged up. I'm a mouth breather now. Tradition 10 states, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. What a blessed tradition that is. Frees us all from not having to have an opinion on outside things. And for those who, I, I might add, for those who don't think that the traditions apply to us individually, 
I believe it was Bill Wilson that said, if you cannot live these traditions individually as a person, how do you expect to do it as a group? Exactly. And in the long version, it states, no AA group or member should ever, in such a way as to implicate AA, express any opinion on outside controversial issues, particularly those of politics, alcohol reform, or secretarian sectarian religion. The Alcoholics Anonymous groups oppose no one. Concerning such matters, they can express no views, whatever. Tanisha, what was that first one? The first politics. one was politics. Oh, that would be a good one not to discuss. Because yeah. AA is what? Me a and you and you and exactly. you and you. That's what AA is. And I, I, I just have to jump in. It's a big thing in my heart right now with what's going on in this country. No matter what position someone may take, if they're talking about that in the parking lot mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and, a, and an alcoholic shows up for their first meeting and hears that and mm-hmm. they're opposed to that talk, exactly. they think, I can't go in there. Right. That's a bunch of those people I don't like. Those people. Those people. Because remember, we're already special when we're drinking in the first <laughs> yeah. place. So really. it's up to us to be really neutral, exactly. not only here, but in the world, too. Yeah. Because Absolutely. somebody's going to see us somewhere. Absolutely. And with that said, I have written Closer to the mind. my opinion on what I experienced with the 10th tradition. Lovely. Politics and religion. Don't bring it to the dinner table, nor <laughs> AA. <laughs> the Washingtonians did just that. They allowed alcoholics and non-alcoholics to go back and forth on their opinion of slavery and politics. I myself have broken this tradition, not knowingly because I never really gotten into the traditions, but now I know I know better. Sharing my experience on this tradition is like when I had a comment or a remark about the treatment center I had went to and how they were doing their treatment and so forth, and I've heard others as well share their upset comments about their treatment centers and I thought it was okay to do so in AA. Why not? We have all, well, most of us have gone to treatment, right? Well, then reading this tradition, I said, Tanisha, just shut up. (laughs) 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 Yeah, if if I don't have anything good to say, I don't say it at all. That sounds good for the outside world. When it comes to AA, leave outside issues outside, even when fellowshipping. Politics and religion can easily split us up. If it's not something that can benefit the alcoholic who still suffers, I'm going to keep it to myself. My opinion on how others do it, it meaning recovery, steps, meetings, in a negative light does not make AA attractive at all. Last thing I want is for something to come out my mouth and the newcomer not stay. Once again, our primary purpose is to carry the message of AA, and that's all. Amen, sister. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. That was beautiful. Wow. I'm really impressed. Our youths. Our youths. The youths. The youths, man. They're understanding the traditions. Our youths. When I was... uh, out there, and I'm discussing politics and religion, usually at a bar stool after doing a few lines and a couple shots of tequila. 
we could quickly forget what we both said about religion, but now that we're sober, we have to be really careful about that kind of stuff because we remember, I remember once there was this, uh, this person who I used to you know, just think was one of the greatest AA members I ever heard, and then I overheard some political banter going back and forth, and from that point on, anything that came out of that person's mouth was, whoo Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's tainted at that point tainted. once you make them, as you say, part of those people. So in order for us to stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide, which was prepared by, basically by Krusty Cliff with a lot of help from Joe and Charlie Krusty. of the big book phase. Um, this is a, the Dallas primary purpose big book study. Give shout out to all those guys. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So tonight our reader, we're going to start reading on page 34. Well, actually 32, but our study is going to start on 34, which is going to be read tonight from tonight's reader. Mark. Yay. Are you sure that's Mark? So how's this work? <laughs> After the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium, starting back at the top of page 34, I believe. The answers will be one sentence from the big book, unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer, split up by commas, shout out to semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. So, once again, basically English. What that means is that we're going to read the material once from the podium. Mark's going to read the book. And then we're going to re-dissect the information a second time through a question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us new light in which to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question, and there's a question for each sentence in that paragraph in the big book, and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read, keeping the tenth tradition in mind. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you're free to share. And if you don't, feel free to have a conversation <laughs> with your sponsor or somebody else. And questions are always great, but you had a good story about that. Did I? What can did you even say? tell about that one at the Pacific Group without saying? Who oh yeah, was? yeah, yeah. No, I can say it without busting his anonymity. Okay, cool. I this was is a brand. Good one. I was brand new in 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 recovery, and I went to the Pacific Group where there are movie stars and and rock stars, and I sat down and I sat next to a guy who had six years sobriety, and he was an easy rider, and I won't say what his name was, but it rhymes with lettuce chopper. And he turned, they said, some, the speaker was great, they said, who wants, to, uh, who wants to share? And I raised my hand, and the guy next to me, I, he, I, I imagined he was playing a part from a movie, and he goes, why don't you just listen? And then about 15, 17, 18 years later, it filtered through my head, and the memory became real, and what he had actually said was very calmly and sweetly, like any guy with six years sobriety says to someone with a few days, he goes, hey, why don't you just listen? So we recommend, why don't you just listen? <laughs> you're just coming back and you're full of the newfound spirit. Maybe we want to listen a little while, you know? But, you know, however, Big Book Study ain't therapy. That's right. Thank God it ain't therapy. Should you? Oh my God, I'd be dead. Should you? It's brilliant. I remember it's like they really say like this is great. It's like therapy for a dollar, and I would say you get what you pay for. Oh, but meditation is our medication. 
Which is good. That's true. Okay. Right? Yeah, I'll go with that. Right? I, you can't over-medicate with that stuff either. The God Xanax, we call that. <laughs> Take a moment of silence. What does God say about Sit that? there really quiet. Breathe in and breathe out. And it brings you into the moment. And no matter what was happening before that moment, next thing you're... So I had this sponsee, and he was sharing from the podium his first time, and he says, in our family, whenever we get really stressed out, we take God's annexes. <laughs> and I was just, I mean, all these people come up and say, you're giving people Xanax now? It's like, no, that's just a term I, of getting spiritually calm. I was five years sober when my daughter was born, and I taught her very early to do that black and white meditation. And uh, so it kept a toddler, it kept that toddler really controlled, because when the toddler would have a meltdown, we'd do that meditation. She'd oh. breathe out all that stuff and breathe in all that God. And she was great. And one time we were in a bakery and she saw a big black and white cookie. <laughs> she goes, look, Dad, it's just like our meditation. Aw, adorable. So, however, Big Book Study ain't therapy. Should you begin sharing on topics that were probably discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship setting, please do not be offended when Mike Shaw, who last name is Shaw Heisenberger Frogstein. <laughs> Burger. That's his middle name. His last name, I think, is Doctor. Brown. Doctor. Yeah, his last name is Brown. Uh, Mike Brown, will cut, he'll cut Stein. that conversation short. Blah, go. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. Please don't dump in the meeting. Save your dumping for uh, personal you know, before and after. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcoholism through the teachings and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous group. That's why we have a group. So we are reading out of page 33, 34, but you know, we just didn't like roll the dice tonight and <laughs> battle off on the way over saying, you know, where are we going to start? We started 24 weeks ago on page zero, which is the forwards and the preferences. And we do that because we feel it's really important for people to know what they're getting themselves into. We don't want to do this like a bait and switch. We want people, if you're going to be joining Alcoholics Anonymous, it's important to know what this is, how it got started, some history, some information on successes and a little bit of the failures, and, and it's just a great opportunity. But, but the cool thing about um, the forwards, if you read it really carefully, the guys sound a little fanatical, a little, you know, on edge about it because, you know, this whole alcoholism apparently is a bigger problem than, us, than the non-alcoholics would think. So we got a whole chapter called... A doctor's opinion. Right. Yeah, I know. I'm going through. I'm number. You know that this is actually page one, and page zero is the cover. I got page zero. Yeah, I got page zero. Well, yeah, because you have that. But like, it's five by the time you get to uh, the table of contents. This it's one already is page five. zero. Oh. They lie to you. They lie. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're at the doctor's opinion. What doctor? Doctor Silkworth. What did we get out of that? Finally, someone who's not an alcoholic can take all the academia that they've accumulated about the disease we have and write it down in a manner that you and I as alcoholics can see ourselves and understand the mechanisms of alcoholism in both our body and our mind. Amazing. And if the forwards and the doctor's opinion, like me, was a little bit above my pay scale, I didn't really understand it, we have a chapter called Bill Strike, which brings it to life. You know, you, you see Bill start out as a successful, hardworking kind of guy who sets goals, and, and he enjoys drinking, like who doesn't enjoy drinking? 
and, and it, it just snowballs into full-blown alcoholism, and he tries to quit. He can't quit. He tries all types of ways to quit, completely un, 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 unable to heavy, do that. heavy sedative. Heavy sedatives, <laughs> which was to help us get through the phenomenon of craving, as I oh was told. Oh, my God. But... Um, Ebby shows up with this whole spiritual, experiential, conceptual thing, and Bill gets sober. And, and I didn't really understand the whole, how that thing worked with him. So luckily we had a chapter called... There is a solution. And that a goes common into solution. a common solution. Which we were talking about before, that it's amazing that a disease is complicated, that the book says that, we, that the alcoholic looks at himself and has so many problems, he, he can't see that he could ever solve them all. And, and, and yet the solution is simple, precise, and it's applicable to every single alcoholic. And you don't have to alter it. So we find out about Alcoholics Anonymous in the forward. We find out about the disease in the doctor's opinion. Bill's story brings it to life. There's a solution, sort of mixes the problem with the solution, and we figure out where this whole God thing kind of comes from, and it's really kind of a, a messy situation. So we got a chapter called More About Alcoholism, which right. we're getting into tonight, and I like to refer to that as a chapter on relapse because it's untreated alcoholism. If you don't follow through with the steps, which are still two chapters away... Right. You're going to end up like the guys in the chapter. So we've read some of the f- stories already so far. This is our fourth, our third session. Officially, we had a session that was lost to the vapors. <laughs> I forgot to push record or something. Forgot to push record. So you we're going to pick up on Silkworth. Page. Can I jump in? Silkworth yeah. also wrote some papers for uh, other doctors on uh, alcoholism. And one of the things he wrote about, uh, which is in a new book about the writing of the big book, is that relapse is not an alcoholic trait. It's a human trait. And he compared it to uh, all sorts of other medical uh, daily regiments like uh, uh, diabetes and liver failure and tuberculosis. And he said they all have the same capability, capacity to relapse and that there were just two levels to it. Is one, they break their daily routine and nothing happens at first. Mm. And right after that, the next step is they quit taking suggestions and then they relapse. And he says in that paper, so to say that relapse in an alcoholic situation is an alcoholic state of mind is to say the same thing about a cardiac patient. The the relapse, the, the reason a cardiac patient quit taking his meds or doing his daily exercises or the diet or whatever they do that that was due to him having that disease. And he said, it's not. It's a human uh, uh, aspect. And, and it, so, so when you say this is about prelapse, <laughs> right? This is about relapse that, that, that we happen without being treated. It's, it's really our human nature first. And so we don't have an excuse to say, well, I'm an alcoholic. I, I relapse naturally. You're a human. It's a human. And, you know, they get bored with eating right. They get bored with exercise. And they get bored with... Meetings, calling your sponsor, reading the book. I'm talking about the normal people, the heart conditions, the kidneys. They get tired of going to the kidneys, and and they just give up on it, which is why intensively working with alcoholics, a newcomer for me, every time I get a new sponsor, it's like it lights me on fire again. It gives me a a reason to stay. You know, you guys get stale after a while. They need somebody, boom, to come in and give us some energy and start working. My example is what's going to help somebody else and therefore I, I'm reminded that I have this disease every day yeah. whereas other humans they have whatever disease right. they have they start feeling better and they go oh yeah well I didn't take my meds today but I feel fine Yeah. 
you know, the I'm heart, not going to take it. Nothing happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to pick up a white chip when you cut out of your heart attack. Come <laughs> out of corner. There's <laughs> nobody, there's no nobody calling you. <laughs> so we're going to start Mark reading on page, let's go to page 34 and we'll look back on the other two. Let's get back on focus. All right. 30, I know this is going to be fun with me trying to do that, right? <laughs> Ooh, squirrel. Um, we're just going to fly through a man of 30 because it really explains about, you know, alcoholism is based on a physicalness that our body doesn't metabolize, process alcohol normally. And, and the mental obsession is something that just sort of comes a little bit later on. And we're going to see how that plays out in the man of 30. He had a physical allergy early on, but he didn't have the mental obsession because he could quit for a few years. After 30 years or 20 years, he goes back to drink, and our brains are really freaking mushy at that age, and mental obsession becomes so easily to enact again. So let's just start at Man of 30. We'll go from there, and we'll get back into the book tonight. Okay, it's page 32. Fucci doesn't wear masks. Second full paragraph. Um, <clears throat> again, I'm Mark. You're, I'm your alcoholic reader. You need tonight. to read into the mic and loud. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55. After a successful and happy business career, then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him, him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. Yeah. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem which money could buy was at his disposal. <clears throat> Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here's a man who at 55 years found he was just where he left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Amen. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it, because none will really want to stop. And hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time, nor take the quantity some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. 
Certain drinkers, who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics, are astonished at their inability to stop. We, who are familiar with the symptoms, see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere. But try and get them to see it. Badge of honor. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he hasn't entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may, be, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can say, anything, can say dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the next day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. <laughs> You've had those guys before, right? <laughs> had them. <laughs> had them. <laughs> Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to seize forever. Yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. So up to this point in the book, we basically had a lot of conversations about the physical aspect, the cravings, and how it shows up to us. Now he's going to sneakily slide us into the mental obsession part, the part that prevents us from saying no when we know we shouldn't pick up. And we're going to... This is where we actually start studying, so we're going to start picking up the questions on page 34, but he's going to read us through, and we're going to read right through Jim's story, too, tonight, because he's a hoot. I bet you we got time to get through that tonight, <laughs> and if not, we can always cover him again at the end of next week. This is really when we go from mental, not only psychological, but also uh, and mental as far as psyche and spiritual, is our soul, Yeah, that it's both our personalities, <clears throat> the way we think, and who we actually are is all mixed in there. It gets very intense right about the top of 34. You pick this thing out and it's some great information. So, Mark, you can just pick up again. We're going to just read through four. At least we're going to go to the top of page 37 and we'll tell you when to stop. Great reading, by the way. Sounds good. How, then, shall we help our readers determine, to their own satisfaction, whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful but we think we can render to an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? <laughs> Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. Apparently he's a hoot. This man has a charming wife and family. Love his wife. <laughs> he, in he inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable World War record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes Everybody him. Everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. 
<laughs> That's the human nature. That's so awesome. He's perfect, except he's a little on edge. <laughs> a little I tightly wound. You notice he does that boot, that the, the boot drop, right? Yeah, right? He's wonderful, he's kind, but he runs over people for fun. Yeah, right, right, right. A little nervous disposition. Yeah. He interrupts, and then, and, then, and then he's a creep and, 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 and a weirdo, and what is he doing here? Right? But he has a car lot, so everyone likes him. <laughs> I'm sorry, continue. <clears throat> he did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he, he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family for whom he had a deep affection. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on a Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which I was familiar for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at the table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured that I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of the intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if he only mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? That's it. The only definition in our group. Boom. Yes. There's no no pithy little sayings about what insanity is and repeating stuff. It's made up stuff. On page 37, that's it. Matter of fact, how let's, can it be called anything else? Let's start asking questions from this one. We'll just pause here. We'll start asking the questions. So we're going to go back to the bottom of 34, and I've already prepped Doc on how to do this. On the bottom so, or the top? 
uh, the bottom of 34, that bottom paragraph. Remember, we already practiced the top. Now we're going to... Oh, we practiced it. So the very last paragraph. Do you guys want to read along at home? Oh, do you know what I just realized, too? We're streaming on Alcoholics and God and not Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. So if anybody has any friends that might be waiting for us over on that page, you might want to send them a little (laughs) note there. (laughs) I'll rerun it later, but yeah, we're on Alcoholics and God. Sorry. I think I did it backwards. Are are we at how then? Bottom 34. Uh, the question, yes, then how then oh, we, good. so the first question is, what is the question poised at this point? All right. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? Two-part question, what will be helpful? And B, do we think we can do a better than, do you think, do we think we can do a better than in helping the reader of this book determine if they are chronic alcoholics? That was a tongue twister. Well, read the sentence. We have an experiment. The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful. But we think we can render an even greater service to the alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. Two-part question again. What shall we describe? Why describe the mental condition? So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. For obviously, this is the crux of the problem. So let's do one more paragraph, and then we'll open up for some questions in case somebody wants to call in. Um, By the way, we got our caller is going, if you want to, somebody want to, like, do this in the, in the comments, the number to call in to share would be area code 954-260-4760. Why don't you repeat it? Can you bolster. sing it like, a, like an empire carpet thing? 954 nah. 260 Sort of. That's nah, good. That's, that's good. good. Somebody want to, somebody want to like... Do that because I think we got some people calling. You're awesome. going to answer that, and you know how to handle that. We're what gonna... the hell does the word crux mean? That's my the crux. I That's think... the I, part I... of the arm that everything rests on. I thought the crux of the biscuit was the apostrophe. Ah, next paragraph. Sabbath, thank you very much. What is the question at this point? And uh, the question is: <clears throat> What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic? who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink. And it says, comment, refer to the first paragraph on page 30 for the answer. The idea that somehow, someday, ooh, we will control our drinking is a great obsession of every alcoholic. But we are like like men who have lost their legs. Uh, Next pair, oh, actually, next question. In what state are the alcoholic friends... In what state are the alcoholics friends and why? Rest a paragraph. Oh, if they still have friends. Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, after a binge, which, is, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are still mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? This is open for comment. You got anything to share on that? If somebody wants to call in. I I don't think he is thinking because I know I operated in blackouts and it always it it always scared me that my thinking was a different person. It's like my soul was gone in a blackout. And yet whoever was in my body 
inhabited my body and brain had a sole purpose of getting what they wanted. We got a live one. <laughs> and we got this. Fort Lauderdale primary purpose. We got Barry on the line. Well, let's Hiya, to, uh, Barry. Hi, Barry. We're going to listen to Go ahead, you. Barry. Share what you got. You got to turn up the volume. Right, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. Hi, Hi Barry. Barry. And I say that because God has lifted the obsession um, to drink alcohol. Being open about a recent relapse and having the timing of this section of the book is truly a gift from God. The other gift from God I've noticed is this isolation period we're in. And I thank you guys so much for doing what you're doing tonight. But that has resulted in intense self-reflection. And it has you know, provided a transformative experience and led me to the difference between ego-inspired action and spirit-inspired. Um, you know, you mentioned you failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and that is 100% true as, you know, leading up to uh, my relapse, I was overworked and shutting down and not looking to enlarge my spiritual life with God, not turning to anybody I love to communicate that I was struggling. And just like, you know, just like any relationship, the quality of your spiritual relationship, the quality of any relationship really isn't based on whether or not you get disconnected at times because that's going to happen. We are imperfect humans, but the quality is determined by the effort and the you know time it takes and the quality in which we seek to repair that. And luckily, God is always there. You know, you can't just declare uh, that you're back connected with God. It requires work, just like any relationship, friend, you know, anybody. Uh, quality relationships require work, but they are worth it. Thank and you very much. Because God is always there, the opportunity to repair it is always there. Thank you very much. And, and that's the cool thing about the bear. I just uh, touch him up right now. We're, uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to. So what he's talking about is what it's like to be disconnected from God. And this is what this whole mental obsession is. We have a mental obsession that that without God taking that mental obsession away, we cannot not drink. And if we have this mental obsession taken away and we drift away from the relationship with God, the mental obsession comes back. And you got something you want to throw in on? Well, Thank I, you for I, sharing, I've got Barry. two things. I got something. Uh, uh, um, down here where we told him what we knew of alcoholism is I, I made a note that in the 12 and 12 on page 39 is I think Jim is, although he thinks he's sober, I think he's in step three. And I don't think he's ever developed. It says he never, uh, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Right. And I think he, he felt that he turned it over to God and he was completely safe at that point. And from there... In, in A Vision to You talks about that obsession, right? The word obsession is a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it, to drink. And which is odd because a miracle has nothing to do with our control. So a miracle and our control are kind of opposed to each other, ever, ever happening. It's never right. going to come together. It's oil and water, right? And yet we still have an obsession, a monk-style obsession, yeah? Where I, I, I can't sleep, I can't breathe, I'm going to die if I don't act on this obsession. It's 
It's constant. It's interesting that the man of 30, he didn't suffer from the mental obsession yet. Right. He had the allergic reaction when he drank, but he had not developed that mental chemical rewiring the brain to the level that he cannot think of anything else but drinking. And you can put it aside, you can say busy, but eventually that mental obsession is always going to play out. And we're going to see what that looks like with Jim, because Jim is a great guy. He's got a lot of people in his life. People really like him. They love him. But, uh, and he I, was probably the life of the party for those few months that it took him to turn into an alcoholic. You know? He'd so, walk into the bar and everybody go, Norm. Have you ever met anybody who started drinking at 35? Um, I met someone uh, uh, a little younger than that, but he only drank for a couple years before he had to go into Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. Because his father was an alcoholic, and then he started drinking, and within two years he had wrecked a car and plowed through people and just destroyed his own life in two years of drinking. And boom, he was a member. So you can be born with an impaired pancreatic liver system and you can have phenomenon of craving early on or you can be a drinker and destroy it. Do you know it was told to me by an allergy uh, doctor that we cannot have an allergy to anything we haven't been exposed to. So you may have all the potential to be allergic to strawberries or seafood or or, or a, a bee sting, but until you're stung with a bee, nothing happens. And so you may have that allergy of, of, of against alcohol, but it will <laughs> you won't actually have it until you start drinking. And look what it's kind of weird, right? It, it, it kind of makes sense in one way, but it seems kind of weirdly upside down in another sense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's jump into let's jump into Jim's story. Here's your first question. Boy, I like that. Uh, comment as we study Jim's story. Look for the similarities between him and yourself. First question: What kind of family did Jim have? Uh, where am I here? Am I on our first example? No, our first example. Yeah, that's where we're picking up again. Is a friend we shall call Jim. What had the- he inherited? Okay, I'm behind because I should have said, to answer your first question, this is a man who has a charming wife and family. To answer your second question, he inherited a lucrative automobile agency from, How, his, from his wife's father. I'll, I'll probably, bet. right? Yep. How was his war record? Well, he had a commendable World War, probably one, yes, record, which was a crappy war. Most people don't. Don't do any study of world history. And World War I was horrific. Messy as can be. Well, think of like, of like poison gas used in war. Oh, my God. And yet, here's a guy that, who returned back without... They didn't even know what, what post-traumatic syndrome was, right? Stress right. syndrome. They just said shell shock. But here's a guy who came back and, and everything fit back into his life. What a strong... Character this man must have, right? Alcohol can't get this guy. We'll see, won't we? <laughs> was he good at his profession? Oh, he was a good salesman. Was he a likable cuss? Everybody likes him. Three-part question. I love these three-part questions. Was he a dummy? Was he normal or abnormal? Except for what? Well, he has, he, he's an intelligent man. Normal, so far as we can see, except for the, 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 the nervous disposition. <laughs> When did he start drinking? <laughs> he did no drinking until he was 35. And, and I wonder, is that like hardcore, heavy, hard drinking or just the first sip? 
I don't know, but I also think about his family. Because in those days, right, you get married in about mid-20s, you have a child. And then the late 20s, you have a second one. And by 30, maybe you have three and you're done, right, in those days. And, and at 35, he's got like, what, a, a 10, a 7, and a 5-year-old, maybe. Time to lay back and, and drink. And time to lay back, right? Time Things to are party. starting to fall into place. He's got money, too. Get um, out those slippers. <laughs> So did it take him very long to get into trouble with his drinking? In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. What happened to him when he was left to the mental institution? Well, upon leaving Arkham Asylum, he came into, it doesn't say Arkham, he came into contact with us. Um, what happened? Oh, what two things did the AAs tell him? But they weren't AAs, were they? These were Oxford groupers. Right. right. What did the Oxby guys it, it, tell him? It was just us. Yes. It was the secret. It was and the it was the find die. our Lord and Savior or die. Right. Which is still the heart and soul. The, if yeah. the crux of the problem is, is the drinking, the relapse, the continuous drinking that we can't stay stopped, then the crux of the answer is this spiritual higher power that intervenes. There's no psychology. There's no philosophy. There's nothing. There's no physical exercise, nor drug, nor treatment that'll work against this. And, and so he came into us. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. What did he do? Well, after we told him about the answer we found, he made a beginning, which is one, two, and three, I think. Yeah, and thank you guys very much. I've got to get back to my job. My right. wife is. I believe in me. God. I'll ask him to help. <laughs> but the, but this like oh, and know, I have steppy a stuff. I have a problem. I admit that, and that's how I did the first three steps. They, I, I did them all as one step. Is I said, yeah, I, I absolutely am convinced I'm powerless, and I believe God will do it, and I'll ask Him to do it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm done for a year. I did that. It was a crappy year, but. Uh, I this, lived on step three for one whole year. This next question has two ways to look. What happened as a result of his effort? I want to say what happened as a result of his lack of effort. Yeah, his family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost. He began to work for the, <laughs> as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. I see resentment in his future. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being told what to do? No, no. What is it? What, it, it what's what's uh, Mark uh, Facebook's name? Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. He was Zuckerberg'd, right? He had inherited this, this, <laughs> this business. He was making lots of money. He drank, and then somebody, I think it's in... How it works. Mr. Brown took it from him, right? And and then told his wife about his his love affair. I mean, there's so much going on under that sentence. Because he didn't just drink and then, oh, I lost the business. He had a girlfriend and he was gambling and he was doing all the stuff we do. We know what he was doing. He was living a good life. He was living an alcoholic good life, brother. And then Okay, comment. How do we develop a spirit? Okay, uh, next question. How many times did he wind up drunk? Well, all went well for a time. (laughs) Party. But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Which would have been the question, what did he not do? Uh, Next question. How many times did he wind up drunk? Well, to his consternation, he found himself drunk 
half a dozen times in rapid succession. So let's keep that in mind. We get farther because six in times. essence, he'd have six white chips now. Right. And, and maybe how long a would that take? Oh, that could be over six weekends. Six weekends would yeah. probably be it. We or used maybe... to have a joke about that. How do you know it's it's Monday? Wednesday? It's because so and so has got a three yeah got a three day chip. I was the <laughs> I was the Wednesday white chipper. Because my sponsor would never be yeah, there. Yeah, on Wednesday he has three days, so you know it's Wednesday, right? Two-part question. How many times did the recovered Alcox go back to see him, and what did the AAs do? Well, every time. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. You know, that's a great thing right there. And i got to say, I never really looked at it like that. I never looked to see how many times, you know, the painstaking times that... The others went to help him. Not, not after the third time you go, this guy's chronic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the third, third Sunday we've been here. Forget, the, I'm not going this time. And the fourth time, I'm not going. You know, they went. And the fifth time they went. And the sixth time they went. They don't give up. But they're also probably in his face saying, we told you you need to do this. You told you to do this. But you're not doing this stuff, so. They're not throwing him a birthday party. Yes. Oh, he's back. Uh, what did he, okay, so next on what did he agree with the AAs? He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. So if we pay attention in the first part of this story, we gave him all this information, which if he had been a problem heavy hard drinker or you know a, a right, party kind of guy, right. he would have said, Oh one, shit, I would three. have I would be fine and then move on. If he had a reason enough to stop it, said the right? mental correct. So now we're gonna throw fear at him. Well, we're gonna he went scare to an him. asylum for Christ's sake. That would make me stop. Right, but no no no. I, I have friends who, who I got a text the other day that said, Man, life is crazy. I wish I was back in the mental institution <laughs> where it was simple no it didn't scare him enough though did yeah, it but fear doesn't scare us sober nope, you can't scare us not. sober what did he know would happen to him if he drank again speaking of the fear if he drank again what would happen to him he knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on and 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 i'm going to say in the 20s it was not a medical hospital a mental hospital like we have today it was cuckoo. Lock, one lock, flew over the cuckoo's, cuckoo's nest. Cuckoo's nest. It was lock them behind a screen lock door. Lock them behind. Which, Absolutely. It wasn't a fun place to be. Not and, a fun so place imagine, to wake up. and imagine this: you're an alcoholic, and you do drink, and you turn into this psychotic, crazy Tarzan kind of guy. Yeah. And then you get it out of you. And back in those days, you were without alcohol. You get pretty normal. But right. back in those days, you're locked up in that cuckoo's nest for the rest of your life. He goes right normal. back to who he was, right? Everybody liked him. He's a nice guy. He's intelligent. And oh, he's in go. the cuckoo's nest. Let him go. What, um, so even more important, what else would happen to him? Well, moreover, he would lose this lovely family for whom he had a deep affection. Yeah. Which he's already Hidden emotionally agenda. thrown away. Yeah. He just doesn't know it because now he's sober. So fear and information, he's never going to drink again, no, probably, didn't, right? it didn't help him a bit. Well, let's find out. Yet he did. <laughs> Next page. Yet read he on, did. McDuff. Read on. I love this part. Yet he did what? Yet he got drunk again. So Jim is basically on his seventh-ish white oh, chip, right? Right. In a, in a rapid period of time. Mm. Rapid period an, of time. An annoyingly rapid period of time. Well, he might have gotten every two weeks. We don't know that for sure. But what did those AAs do? We asked him to tell us exactly what happened. Tell, and, uh, instead of us telling you what you've done, tell, tell us what you've done. 
In your own words. (laughs) Next question. How was Jim on Tuesday morning? Oh, This is his story. Jim says, I came to work on Tuesday morning. Comment. Would right? you wonder? I to, with, I'm sorry, go ahead. What, what about that thing makes you wonder that he's a real alcoholic? Well, uh, he missed Monday. And doesn't mention <laughs> it like it's a big no. deal, right? No. no. It's just right. That's Homer Simpson, right? Where right. They don't. called and they said, uh, <clears throat> the boss says, if you don't come in Friday, don't come in on Monday. Woohoo! Four day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right? So he comes in on Tuesday to work for a guy that probably worked for him. Or someone who took over the business that used to be his. When I work with folks and I'm in the process, this is where we start to help them determine whether an alcoholic or a problem heavy hard drinker. One thing I've noticed consistently, the alcoholic will relate to that. I came to work on Tuesday without a right. question. The right. problem, a problem heavy hard drinker, like, well, you're sort of assuming a lot that it's, you know, he didn't show up on Monday or stuff like that. The alcoholics <laughs> tend to like just get with. We get that, don't we? Right. No, if he if he's he's telling exactly it says it, it, it doesn't say generally what happened. Tell us exactly what happened. And he would be bragging. I was great Monday or he could say the family and I had a great weekend together. And then Monday I went to work. No, nope. but then Tuesday I showed up and I remember I was irritated because I had to be a salesman for a guy. That, right. What does it say? Um, I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern, a business I once owned. Which would be the question, what was the source of this irritation? And, and I love how he just sort of glazes over like it's, this is, this is right, eating him apart. A concern. This is, he's sitting at the <laughs> work going like, don't you tell me what to do. I get you where you got and stuff. Like right. That. I used to own, I know more about this business than you will ever know. And the boss is going like, but Jim, you're a drunken loser. I brought you on because I felt sorry for your wife. And, you know, I'm just doing you a favor. But if you show up late again, you're out the door. You missed Monday. And he's over it. You missed Monday already, Jim. Mm -hmm. And we all like you, brother. But when you drink, you're a that was, you know, that was my life. My boss used to be like oh that. God. I'd show up on Tuesdays. Did he speak to his boss? Well, I had a few words with the boss. <laughs> he, got, he got yelled at. But nothing serious. Yeah, he got yelled at. Right. I didn't get to say my part. Right. What did he decide to do? By the way, he's having a temper tantrum right now. So what, yeah. did, what did he decide to do? Well, F that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Go F yourself, I said under my breath as I walked out of the office. I had a few words. Oh, I'm sorry. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. So this is 1935-ish. The economy completely sucks. He's going right. out to a farmer to try and sell him a car who right. doesn't have. He just wants to get out of property. It's, it's a total excuse that I'm doing work. I'm out of here. I have to go do some work out of here. That's right. Not only out of the building. Out of town. Yes, and we know where he's going to go. Where nobody can see me because I'm seething with resentment. Two-part question. <laughs> poor guy. I love I this love Along the way, what happened? And part B, so what did he do? Well, on the way, I felt hungry. So I stopped uh, at Hooters where there will be boobs and beer. Oh, wait, almost. I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. So we stopped at a roadside bar out in the country. Yep. So if we, yep. if, if we tear this apart a little bit. It's a bar Jim, with sandwiches, not a restaurant that serves liquor. Right. So we, got, so we got Jim, who shows up to work, probably still has the phenomenon 
kicking away. And he's just got to, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. He talks to the boss, and the boss screams at him, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. And his back of his brain is going like, got to drink, got to drink, got to drink, drink, drink. I got to get out, I got to get some drinks. So he goes to a slippery place. And how many times, first of all, I was a salesman, right? I was Mm -hmm. a salesman in the 80s and sold, I, I... when I was 21, I got an insurance license, right? I, I, I learned to sell everything. And there's the, the thing about salesmen is by noon, there's nobody on the lot. The salesmen are gone because they all go for a, a lunch and then they start drinking. Yes. And then they're all talking. It's called the bullpen. And then they all talk about the sales they could have had, the sales they should have had, how they were robbed of a sale, blah, blah, blah. They're all commiserating together drinking. And that's why none of them, but the young guy, the new salesman stays on the lot. And sells he the sells car. more than them and they hate him. Right? Ooh, new noise. Um, <laughs> so how many lunches, that's what I was getting. Question. To, how many did, lunches did Jim have where he had a three martini lunch and then come back to work? That was normal. Right. That's normal, normal business. In the 70s, that was normal. Oh, yeah. Did he stop for a drink? No, uh, let me see where I had. Uh, I had I'd eaten there many times. No, no, I had, I had no intention. No, I had no. Oh, I had the notion. No, I had no intention wait, wait, of drinking. Let me get up there. Okay, thanks. I Put had your no finger intention on it. of drinking. Put your of course, he had it. no intention of drinking. Then why is he going to a roadside bar? I went to dealers' houses sober in my first month to make amends <laughs> with no intention of using anything did. they had until my sponsor found out and thoroughly beat me. I used to keep product and booze in the house in case a friend happened. In case a friend came by. That that weekend, I'm like, how'd that happen? (laughs) Okay, let's get back to this stuff. This is because no intention of drinking. I'm not going to drink. Remember how Bill thought? What did he think he would do? Uh, Remember, Bill said, I'm not going to have a drink. I could have ginger ale. Wait, I'll stop at three gins. Boom. It was that fast. Yeah. And so he For says, me, every time. He says, I have no intention of drinking while he's walking in the parking lot or the gravel up to the, ro- up to the door, right? But what was going on? He, he, his, his presence, his, his moment, and he convinced himself he did not have a reason. He did no, no, no notion to drink. But he was going there right, for to a drink. I have to have a sandwich. That, that other part of us, when I, when I went into rehab and my therapist, who was really good, she dies. She's talking to me. She says, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm hanging out with my friends. And next thing you know, I'm drinking. I don't get it. She's like, oh, my God, you have multiple personalities. <laughs> it's like... No, he said no. <laughs> but you know, the, the part of us, he's going there to get drunk, but he's lying to himself, That's that right. mental well, obsession, it's, that it's insanity. It's that same obsession that operates my mind and body when I black out, that says, I want what I want, put up any excuse or validation that you want, but I'm going to get drunk. Say you're going to go serve a guy about a car, talk to a farmer, get a sandwich, but we're going to get drunk. We, he already made up his mind, like you said, while his oh. boss was chewing him out. So I had no intention of drinking. No intention. I just thought I'd get a sandwich. There's a question. Was he, um, what did he think he would do? Get a sandwich. Two-part question. What else? I did got he a hope sandwich he, for you right here. No. What else did he hope he might find? And B, was this place unfamiliar to him? Well, no, I've been there several times. I'd also had the notion... That I might find a customer. See, this is great. Again, my brain shoots in another excuse, a validation for being in a bar. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place. 
which I, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. So, what does a drunk call the place he goes to for years to drink? His watering hole, home. Right. His, right. his, this is his drunken place. Right. My, my he's going place. to his drug dealer's house. He's, he's going been, to his drunken place. If he's place. been there for years, he's been drinking there for years. And everybody knows Jim when he walks in. Right. Hi, Norm. Hey, Norm. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't I suddenly was stricken drunk. It was I worked my way between the hydrant and the dog, got peed on, and then was surprised that it happened. One of my favorite questions, we're going to jump in on this and share a little bit. Was he set himself for a slip by stopping there? I sat down. I had eaten. I, 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 I had eaten there many times during the months. I was sober. Okay. I, I had, okay. Oh, I'd already he's erased. not a seventh white chip. He's right. not sober. Right. But I erased all of that. Yeah. Because, you know, I have been sober here before. So it's fine. I've been sober here before. Forget that I've been drunk here, too. Those are my initials carved in the bar. But other than that, I have also been here quite sober. I've got this written on the side. Jim was not sober. He's just barely abstinent. (laughs) He's He's talking about the Saturday. No, he comes in sober. He leaves drunk. He just divides it in half and go, I was sober when I came in. The alcoholic, they go one day without drinking. I'm sober. Yeah. No, you're absolutely. That was the Cheech little. and Chong thing going, I've been off drugs for a, a long time, man. Like, like, really? The, yeah, have you got any? <laughs> <laughs> what did that he do? That was a pretty good Tommy So Tom, what did he do after he sat down? Okay, I sat down at a table, not at the bar, and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Had the thought of drinking crossed his mind? No, still no thought of drinking. He was apparently still hungry, so what did he do? I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. What, have you ever done that in your life? So, back Never in, in my life have I ever had a sandwich and a glass of milk and, and then had another sandwich. And a, Jim, I think you might be bullshitting me a little bit in this I think here. he is. When I was in my non-drinking family phase, didn't think I was drinking, but I was. We went, <laughs> we went, my, my parents had heard I had a friend who was working at this bar and, and they wanted to come to town and they wanted to go meet my friends because they heard me hanging out at the Bistro Las Olas so much. So we, you're they, a good guy So Thursday night, Thursday night I prepped the staff. <laughs> I'm bringing my parents in tomorrow night for dinner. If anybody says anything about me drinking or you guys are cut <laughs> off and you're never getting a tip again. So so Friday night they show up. We sit at the table. The waitress comes up to me and says, oh, my God, you must be his parents. Mike Chase is the sweetest, kindest, most wonderful person that we've ever met. You guys did a good job. Just the bullshit was just flying. And then she says, so what would the guys like to drink? I know he only wants boring Coca-Cola. All he ever drinks is Coca-Cola. He's so boring. Gets Mama Martini, gets Dad a vodka on the rocks, you know. And they come back. They got the drinks. And I get my Coca-Cola. And they do the cheers. And we take a sip. And I got this Coca-Cola. It's, the, it's almost pure Jack Daniels. <laughs> and I look, I look over to my friend, the bartender, and he's got the shit-eating grin like. And I go, excuse me, Mom. And I went up. I said, what the f- are you doing? He says, they won't even notice it. Just enjoy it. You'll have it. And I think about in Jim's story the exact same thing because Jim's been going to this bar forever, right? So he wow. knows the girls. And the girls know that Jim needs a freaking drink, right? So she's probably said, Jim, why don't we just sneak the scotch, the whiskey, and the milk? Because we love to help each other when we're having a rough time. You know, that was a common, by the way, uh, drink for chronic alcoholics who had stomach problems. Oh. Because after they drank straight booze so long, 
it would burn holes like ulcers. And so they started, uh, uh, scotch and milk was a, was a common drink for chronic alcoholics because they couldn't hold anything else down. Oh. Yeah. I so tried it once. A medical... It sucks. It's, I... it's, it's freaking awful. <laughs> Give me a scotch and milk. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend who was at, at a wedding of a friend of ours who had relapsed, and there was a, the, the, the boys' party, what do they call those things, the stag party? Yeah. And he, and he, ordered, him a, he yeah, ordered him a scotch lovely. and milk just to, to <laughs> rub it A scotch and milk. Oh, my God. It was, okay, let's yeah, get back so, to the well, book. Well, when I it's natural this... for us to want to try and drink and not get caught. When I first read this, I thought, here's a guy that, that who else thinks of putting whiskey in milk other than a chronic alcoholic who is so, like, I knew, I, I, I vomited every time I drank because I had a bad stomach and I couldn't drink enough to fill this big body up with alcohol fast enough. I, it, it, was, it was weird. And so drinking with milk or having a, a Bailey kind of creamy drink was, was often a lot better than just shooting down a... A Jack and Coke. <laughs> when I would go out, I would always stop at Taco Bell, not to endorse <laughs> it, and I'd get three chicken soft tacos because I knew that wasn't going to be showing up till later, but I was going to have a few drinks. I didn't want to completely you know, oh, shit-faced oh, before right. it showed up. Right. And so for me, and but the, the, getting back to my family, it wasn't me getting drunk. It never crossed my mind. It was my parents finding out that I was drinking. And Jim drinking milk mixed with scotch might Who's have been a ploy for people not, from? from everybody at the bar. Because if they see Jim drinking at the bar, they're going to go back and tell Jim's right. family, his boss. And his, so are we drinking so we don't get drunk? Or are we doing it so he doesn't get caught? For me, it was right. always I don't want to get caught. Because right. if I could drink and not get caught, if I could like, start drinking on a Friday night and show up to work by 8.30 the next morning on Monday and show up to the dry dock on Monday night <laughs> soberish, I wouldn't have to pick up a white chip. But no, I kept drinking until Sunday afternoon. I show up on Tuesday and I pick up my white chip on Monday because my sponsor was there on Tuesday and didn't want to embarrass him. Look at how many times he lies to himself, though. Six times. Right? Time when after he says, time. I decided to join, you know, drive in the country because of one of my prospects. Later he goes, oh yeah, and there might be somebody in the bar that might wants to buy a car. And I felt hungry, so I stopped. <clears throat> I have no intention of drinking. I had the notion, right? I did, it was all, I'd eaten here before. He's lying to himself over and over. And so I think that, yes, you're right. He's hiding from anyone who might out him in the bar, but I think he's really deeply hiding from himself. Yeah. And somehow, I mean, because it doesn't make sense to order a sandwich and a milk and then order a second sandwich and a milk. He's, 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 he's wasting time. He's trying to make that decision. It's a reason to stay there. Absolutely right. Because he's going, yeah, that's really right. Because how long did it take him to eat that first sandwich? He's sitting there going, Jesus, milk of all things. And we know he's going to drink. He knows he's going to drink. He's got that Bill Wilson of, I'll just have, first thought was, how will I pay my hotel bill? Second, I'll just have a ginger ale. Two uh, or three, and I'll stop at three gins. He won't get drunk. It's the tacos. It's the tacos you just it's said. It's the tacos I just did. Very good, Tanisha. And, and overall, you eat a couple sandwiches and drink some milk, you do feel kind of secure, and he's in surroundings he's comfortable in. So, 
He said, all oh, this now. is this is all real good, but now yeah. the now now the insanity kicks in, right? In, yeah, in italics, which always I question point out, is, costs did he more. Act, question is, did he act on the insane thought suddenly? Like the out, thought? you're in a bar, <laughs> right? I haven't had this thought yet. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why, but suddenly, the thought crossed my mind. That if I were to put an ounce, just an ounce, a shot, of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on that full stomach of two sandwiches. In other words, he wouldn't get drunk and nobody would catch him. Right. He'd be fine. It would just take no that nervous, no. nervous disposition down a notch. I had this therapist, or a, an aftercare <laughs> guy who used to look me, at, he's talking to everybody, he always looked me right in the eye and say, you know, if nobody finds out you drank but you drank, it's still a relapse. There's no such thing as a magic relapse. And I'm going like, he's got to smell me. Oh, no. <laughs> how but, did he know? But how dare you? Know, I could never let him know I drank because they would think less of me. Next question. What? Oh, this is a two-part, maybe three-part question. Oh, it's a No, scary. two-part question. What did he sense? Mm-hmm. What thought preceded his decision to take the first drink? What time do we got, Mark? We are at 8.32. Oh, Ooh. shit, we're over. Wait, Nobody we better stop us. before he orders the whiskey. So this is we're going to pick He's up at the clock. ready to order a whiskey. So we got to wrap this thing up. This is, well, are, can we come back to this next week? We're going to pick up. We're going to start on the Jim's story and bleed We're going to leave a cliffhanger of him a sitting cliff. there on a full belly, suddenly thinking of, if I mixed an ounce only, like a chemist, if I did one line uh, every four hours... I'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> I'll put one ounce in an eight-ounce glass of milk. I've eaten two sandwiches. I'll be fine. Waitress, tune in next week when we hear what Jim decides to do. By the way, if you want to know more about this, Thursday night we got him going to be here doing a, another hour session of Great the stuff, Manegadal stuff. I just invented a word. Closing guide uh, from A Vision for You, page 164. You got that? Go. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it. That your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past and give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. I built a house on that road. It is... Nah, we'll skip that one. The practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with this beautiful sponsorship medal. So what we do, we don't give out white chips. We give an opportunity of somebody in, in introduce them to the family of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you got a new sponsee, you want to introduce them, just Maybe pop their face up That's in the beautiful. comments. That's a really nice want. thing. That's a really nice thing. Um, blah, blah. Let's see. Anyone, Anyone celebrating, celebrating a year or more of sobriety would like a medallion, uh, go to Intergroup and buy one. They got some really nice ones, perhaps your friends, or you can even put a little comments. It'd be cool. Put your comments right. in there and say if you got a hard. year or more. <laughs> Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Let us know by commenting in the comments. Yeah. 
If you'd like to become a member of this group, join us after the meeting by commenting you'd like to become a member. And we're interested in members all over the world. I don't live in Fort Lauderdale, right? All over the world. Imagine having uh, international members of this beautiful... Elvis Presley wrote a whole song about the Fort Lauderdale. We have group. members in South Africa. South Africa. We have them all. We got six, we got we have uh, sixty nations that listen to us regularly. That's awesome, man. Uh, can all home group members wave on your comments? That'd be kind of cool. Bing. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hope to see you next week. However, this Thursday evening, Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop starting at seven fifteen. <laughs> Right here, same channel, we got Doc giving a final wrap-up. He did 12 sessions scattered over 14 weeks. <laughs> he got is, a job. Which is perfect <laughs> for my work. life, exactly. So he's going to wrap us up. And then after that, we got Marion H. Marion W. is going to pick up after that. She's going to bring us in the, the softer feminine size of recovery. And so it. this is going to be great. She's amazing. I love having her there. And so, all these all these are recorded on the website. Yes? These are all listed on the website, podcasts. All these things can be listened to. Amen. So please wait before you're 75 feet away to doors so you don't make it. That's a, so let's close with the Lord's <laughs> Prayer. If you're still vaping and smoking, pray. Right? Pray. I used to quit smoking with the patches and still smoke. You know what? I, I wanted to quit smoking. But in my after one year, my sponsor started taking me to prison meetings. And over the next few years, I was doing five prison meetings a week. And in those days, you could throw a pack of cigarettes down and let the inmates take a cigarette. Oh. And, and you had not given it to them. Ooh. You just accidentally. And they let us do that. And my, <clears throat> my sponsor said, quit praying that you need to stop smoking because you might need to be a smoker to be doing what you're doing in the in the meetings right now. So God, God determines when it's time to stop. Smoking. So let's thank Mark for uh, reading. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Doc. We're going to, you coming thank back you, next Mark. week? Huh? We're going to do this next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'd the creek to. don't this rise and the good Lord don't, uh, and the city doesn't come and shut us down. Kind of like the Smothers Brothers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Well, which one are you? I'm the dumb one. I'm Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> I am the goody goody guy. Mom liked you okay. best. <laughs> uh, everybody just want to, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer and then we're going to end out with some music. God, uh, who's going to bring us from shame to grace if we let him? Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Doc, thank you so much. We'll see you guys next week. Boom. Power share. Body's heavy. Soul is thirsty. Body's aching. Desperately in need of restoration. Yeah, and I am ready for you to take me higher. Yeah, the only thing that I can do is keep on praying. Cause I'm not.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Just about to start 
plug in my guitar And I play my songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms And here in this moment that we share Nothing could come Ten years old that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.